Thank you for being here this afternoon. If you have your Bibles, I'd encourage you to open it to the book of Matthew in the 16th chapter, Matthew chapter 16. We'll look at a couple of verses, or a couple of verses will serve as our lesson text, and the lesson will be built around those couple of verses. So if you'll open your Bibles to Matthew 16, you'll be ready to study with us. When I was a senior in high school, I guess it was, I was talking with my next-door neighbor, and I told him a verse, and I remember he said, well, that's what Peter said. What did Jesus say about it? And so I told him what Jesus said, but the point that I want to suggest to you is that Jesus didn't say one thing, and then his apostles, by inspiration, say something else. If you find a verse that is written by the apostles or by one of the Bible writers that's given by inspiration, whatever it says, that's being supported and is in harmony with what our Lord Jesus Savior has said or won't. And I say all of that for our benefit tonight because I want to talk about the subject, uh, what Jesus said about the church. And there's a lot of thoughts about the church that goes around in the world today. There are some people that just don't like the church. They, they view the church really as a menace because they don't believe in Jesus Christ and they think, well, the church is teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ, and so they're against the church. And then there's some that just are against what they would call organized religion, and so they're against the church. They don't want anyone telling them that they ought to be assembling at any certain time, and they don't want to feel like that they are accountable to anybody in their kind of life. Most of the time, if you see somebody that's against organized religion, as they're talking about, it's just somebody that wants to stay home from services and not worship and do pretty much what they want to. But then you go the other way, there are some that will say, well, join the church of your choice. And in their mind and in their idea, every church is equal, but not so in the eyes of the Lord. And we ought to not put so much stock in what men say, but what Jesus says. Two times in the scriptures, at least two times, we're told that we need to listen to Jesus. You remember in Matthew, the 17th chapter, that Jesus is on the Mount of Transfiguration and his glorious scene. And Peter speaks up and says, Lord, it's good that we're here. And the voice came from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. We heard that back at the baptism of Jesus. But this time he says, Hear ye him. Talking about Jesus. We need to be listening to Jesus. And then you'll remember that in the book of Hebrews, in the first chapter, in verse 1, the writer of Hebrews tells us that God in times past spoke to us by the prophets, or spoke to the fathers by the prophets, but has in these last days spoken unto us through his Son, Jesus Christ. And so again, we ought to be listening to Jesus Christ. And rightly so, Matthew, the 28th chapter, verse 18, Jesus says, All authority has been given to me, in heaven and on earth. And in the book of John, in the 12th chapter, in verse 48, Jesus tells us that one that rejects him and rejects his words, those words will judge him in the last day. 
And so we need not to listen to men and what they say about the church, but we really need to listen to what Jesus said about the church. And what I want us to do is really look at the words that Jesus said. This is not to discount what the apostles or any holy writer said, but it is to say Jesus spoke about the church. And what he said of necessity is right because he can't lie. He's God and he's deity and he's speaking for God. And so what he says is what we need to know about the church. And so we'll talk about what Jesus said about the church. In the book of Matthew, in the 16th chapter, and beginning in verse 13, you have an occasion for recorded for us where Jesus came into the regions of Caesarea Philippi. And he asked his disciples on that occasion, who do men say that I am? And they answered and said, well, some say you're John the Baptist, some say you're Elias, some say you're Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. And so Jesus asked them, who do you say that I am? And if I were to tell you that one of the apostles spoke up really quick, who do you think that might be? probably say, well, that's Peter, and it was. And Peter said, thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said, Simon, blessed are you, for flesh and blood has not revealed this unto you, but my Father which is in heaven. And then Jesus goes on to say this. He says, and I say also to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatsoever you bind on earth would be bound in heaven, and whatsoever you loose on earth shall be loosed in earth or in heaven. So here's what I want us to do. I, here's Jesus talking about the church. And it may surprise you that Jesus only talked about the church and used those words twice in the New Testament, or in, the, in, his, in the gospel that's recording his words. He speaks here in Matthew the 16th chapter, and then he'll speak in Matthew the 18th chapter where he talks about that if somebody offends us, then we ought to go and talk to that person, and if we, he hears us and repents, then we've gained the brother. If not, then care two or three, that at the mouth of two or three witnesses every word may be established. But if he won't hear them, then tell it to the church. And he looks to be talking about the future after the church is established at that point. But he's telling us really the the beginning of the church here in the book of Matthew in the 16th chapter. And so what I want us to do is just to look at what Jesus said, and I want you to begin by noticing that what Jesus says, he talks about the foundation of the church. That in Matthew 16 and verse 18, he said, upon this rock I will build my church. I know that you and I have talked about this foundation in times past. But you and I know that if we want a building that will be strong and steady and sturdy and one that's safe, it has to have a good foundation. And so Jesus says, upon this rock I will build my foundation or my church. Most of us are familiar with the Tower of Pisa, the Leaning Tower of Pisa is told and called. It's a 14 1,500 ton tower that leans about 5.5 degrees or about 15 uh, feet off of the perpendicular. We're just a drop of perpendicular and then that's hanging out about 15 feet it is. And it was started in seven or 1173 
halted in 1178 because it began to lean. And they just built the first couple of, of floors at that time. And so they halted the building for almost 100 years and then later resumed it. But the problem was it was never meant to be a leaning tower. It leans because it has or lacks a good foundation. The foundation itself was about three meters, but it was in miry clay, and so as they began to build that second and third story, it began to lean on them. And so no one intended for it to lean. It was just the fact that it had a poor foundation. But again, I remind you that Jesus says, upon this rock I will build my church. He's not building it upon miry clay. And it's not just a little foundation. He said, I'm building my foundation upon this rock. Now, you probably know that there are people that would look at this and say, well, that foundation is Peter. And the reason they do it, because he says upon, or thou art Peter, and Peter is a word that means rock. He says, thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. And so they think, well, Peter is that rock. But that's not the case. Now, I just ask you, who do you think is the greater foundation? Would you think it was Peter, or would you think it was Jesus Christ? Which one had you rather be built upon? Peter, and remembering what we've seen of him through the Scriptures, and, and even recognizing that he's just a man, or would you rather be built upon Christ? There's differences in the word Peter and the word rock. The word Peter is masculine, means Petros, and the word rock comes from Petra. It's feminine in gender, and it means rock also. But Vines would give us this difference in it. He says Petra, that's the feminine, but the word for rock, denotes a mass of rock as distinct from Petros, a detached stone or boulder, or a stone that might be thrown or easily moved. So Vine says it's not just a matter of Peter's masculine and, and Jesus would have had to switch to use the feminine and not likely doing that, but he says they really have two different meanings. That Petros, for Peter, is a rock that can be moved. But Petra, the rock that he's saying I build my foundation on, is a rock that can't be moved. Let me illustrate it this way. You remember at the crucifixion or the resurrection of Jesus or the burial of Jesus? How about that? We'll stop there. At the burial and, and looking to the resurrection. That they rolled a stone there. It was a huge rock. And, and the women that came realized they couldn't move it themselves, but somebody could move it, and it was made so they could move it. That would be maybe like a Petro. But the Petra that he's talking about, that's the cleft of the rock. That's like the, the cleft of the rock that the tomb was carved out of, and you couldn't move that. And he says, I'm going to build my foundation, not upon something that can be moved, but I'm going to build my foundation upon the rock that cannot be moved. But let me suggest to you that even if you didn't know the Greek, and to be honest with you, there are some scholars besides vines that don't really endorse that difference. But what I want to do is suggest to you that you don't have to know Greek to know that Jesus is the foundation of that church. 
You remember that Paul's writing in the book of 1 Corinthians in the third chapter in verse 11, and, and he talks about, for no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. And so he says the foundation is Jesus Christ. And he's not talking about feminine or masculine or this word or that word. He's just saying, here's what the foundation of the church is. It is Jesus Christ. And that's not the only time that we find that in the Scriptures. Look over, if you would, to the book of Ephesians in the second chapter in verse 20. This is when Paul is writing to the Ephesians and, and showing that the Gentiles have been brought into the church and, and now they're one body. And he tells them, he says, you're having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself, the chief cornerstone. Now, I've told you before, I used to think the foundation in my mind was something that ran the perimeter. Cornerstone would be something that's set up in the middle. But in this passage, the cornerstone and the foundation are one and the same. And I can show that because this is a passage that's referring to the book of Isaiah in the 28th chapter and verse 16. And it's a prophecy about Jesus. And here's what the writer said. Therefore thus says the Lord God, Behold, I lay in Zion a stone for a foundation. Notice, I'm laying a stone for a foundation, a tried stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation. Whosoever believes will not act hastily. So in the passage that Paul is referring to in the book of Ephesians in the second chapter, he's not saying you're built upon the foundation that is, that is on the apostles. Sometimes Mormons will go to this passage trying to show that we need to continue to have, have apostles. But that's not what he's saying. He's saying you're built upon the foundation that's been laid by the apostles. And then you can look over to Ephesians 3 where Paul talks about, I received this revelation and I, I preached this gospel. It is the, the foundation that's been laid by the apostles and prophets. But that foundation, that chief cornerstone, is our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And so it carries with it and it tells us that the foundation is Jesus Christ. And if you stop and think about it, when we talk about Jesus Christ, the Son of God, if he wasn't the Christ, we wouldn't have a church. If he wasn't Lord, we wouldn't have a church. If he wasn't the Son of God, we wouldn't have a church. And so that's what he's talking about, and that's what Peter had confessed, thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God, and when, Paul, or when Jesus says, upon this rock I will build my church, he's talking about that, that foundation that Peter just confessed, that Jesus is Lord and Christ. And so we need and we can see that Jesus said that the foundation was that truth that Peter said, Jesus is Lord and Christ. But look again, if you would, and notice that not only that, but that Jesus says something about the build of the church. In Matthew 16, 18, he said, Upon this rock I will build my church. And notice he says, I will build. This doesn't need a lot of explanation. You just understand pronouns. Just talking about uh, the one that's talking. He's using the term I, and he's saying, I am going to build the church. And that's Jesus Christ. But we do need to understand that if we think that somebody other than Jesus built the church, we're mistaken. And if we are part of a church that somebody other than Jesus built, 
we're in the wrong church. We need to, to find the church that Jesus built. I preached, first of all, in, in Yellville, Arkansas, and I remember that I had a study with people one time, an older man, probably not as old as I am now, but he seemed old at that time. Uh, but uh, I was talking with him and his wife, and, and she let me know right quick that she belonged to a church, and she named the person that started that church and, and the year that it started, and uh, I baptized him later, but I never baptized her. I remember him saying, listen to him, talking to her. Listen to him, telling you the truth. But we never got that far. But if you're part of a church that's not built by Jesus, then you're part of the wrong church. Uh, you know, a radio preacher can get on the radio and tell you, maybe send in $100 and you can be a part of the church. You send in your $100 and he may send you a certificate that tells you you're a part of, of some church. The church, we'd call it the $100 church, but you're not part of the Lord's church if you're part of that church. That's not what Jesus built, and we need to understand that Jesus is the builder. In the book of Psalms, and the 127th chapter, verse 1, this is the song of Solomon, and you remember he says, unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who builds it. Now, I don't think Solomon had the church in mind when he wrote that. Uh, but today, the church is the house of the Lord, and truer words could not be spoken that unless the Lord built the house or the church, whoever other does it, it's laboring in vain. And look, if you would, to the book of Matthew in the 15th chapter, verse 13, and this one does really uh, have the church perhaps in mind when Jesus is talking about the scribes and Pharisees, and he says, every plant which my heavenly Father has not planted will be uprooted. He's talking about their religion. And he said, those things aren't going to last. We need, of course, to be a part of the church that Jesus built. And he says, I've built the church. And so we need to understand that Jesus is the builder. Furthermore, if you look to Matthew, the 16th chapter, in verse 18, you'll notice that he says something about the timing of the church. On that occasion, Jesus said, I will build my church. And I want you to notice particularly that word, I will build, because that's future, and that's what he's trying to get across. At the very time that Jesus was speaking, the church was not built. He says, I will build it. It's still going to be something in the future. Now, again, there's some applications or some just plain uh, common sense that we can see about that statement. When Jesus is standing there saying, I will build my church, saying it's something yet to be built, then that means it wasn't built in the days of Abraham, like some people have suggested. It means when you read in Acts 7 about the church in the wilderness, that that's not the church that Jesus built. He's talking about the Israelites on that occasion. It means that, that John the Baptist didn't build the church. It means also that uh, Jesus didn't build the church even in the beginning of his ministry, that all of this happened before the church was built. And yet Jesus is still saying, I will build my church. 
There's another passage I want you to look at, stepping out of Acts 26, or out of Matthew 16 for a moment. Look, if you would, at Acts the 20th chapter and verse 28. And this is a, a passage that's recording Paul's words to the elders of Ephesus uh, while he's talking with them at Miletus. But he says, Take heed unto yourselves and to all the flocks among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to, to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. Now, I want you to notice that this church is tied to the blood of Jesus, and he purchased it with his blood. And what that tells us is that that church could not be in existence until Christ died and purchased that church. So here Jesus is talking with his disciples. He's saying, I will build my church. I haven't built it yet, but I will build it. And then you learn he purchased it with his blood. And what that tells us is that he had to die before that church came into existence. And we'll talk more about it the fact that he had to die in just a moment. So we know now that Jesus built the church and that it was built and established after his death. But another point from Matthew, the 16th chapter, he is also the owner of the church. You know, it's possible for somebody to, to build something and yet they build it for somebody else. Uh, you may contract with somebody to build a house. They are the builder, but you are the owner of that house. But Jesus tells us, I will build my church. And in doing that, he not only declares himself being the builder, but he says, this is my church. Again, go back, if you would, to the book of Acts in the 20th chapter and, and notice the passage we just read. Therefore, take heed to yourself and to all the flock among the Holy Spirit, has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. It's twice his, if you want to. One, because he's the builder, and secondly, he purchased it. So he purchased it and paid for it. He built it. It's his church. We find uh, in the book of Romans, in the 16th chapter, in verse 16, Paul writes and says, Greet one another with holy kiss. The churches of Christ salute you. Whose church is it? He says, the churches of Christ, or the churches of God, salute you. And God is Christ in that place. Back in Acts 28, or 2028, uh, the purchase with the blood of Christ, or the blood of God. But which, what God shed his blood? God the Son. And so it's his blood that purchased it. It's his church. And that's what we mean when we talk about the church of God, or the church of Christ. We're just saying, this is the church that belongs unto Jesus Christ, because he built it, and he purchased it. And that's all we're trying to say. I want you to notice not only that the church belongs to Jesus, but he said something about the number of churches. Again, back in the book of Matthew, in the 16th chapter in verse 18, he says, I will build my church. And I call your attention to the fact that he uses the singular, my church, that all that Jesus has in mind is one church in the sense that he's talking about it at this time. Uh, again, some passages. Ephesians 1 and verse 22 and 23. Christ is spoken of as the head of all things to the church, which is his body. Notice, the church, which is his body. He no more has more churches than he does bodies. 
He has one church. He has one body is the idea. Or you can go to the book of Ephesians in the fourth chapter, remembering that he just said the church was his body. In Ephesians 1, Ephesians 4, 4, he says that, and speaking of the unity of the Spirit, Paul speaks of uh, the number one. He says, such as one Lord, one God, one Father, one faith, also declares there is one body, and that's the church. And so he's saying there is one body. Uh, the body is the church. The church is is one, and so there's one body, one church, is what we need to understand. We need to also understand, when we talk about building the church, we're not talking about building a building like unto this. We're talking about a spiritual building, not really even uh, a physical building, but a, a spiritual building. Remember when Peter writes, he writes and talks about that we're living stones in, in this building. Uh, we're not part of a physical building, but we are part of the spiritual building, and that's what Jesus came to build, this spiritual building that is the church that we're talking about. And so we, we understand, or should understand, that he only talks about building one church, and that we need to remember that. And then I want to suggest to you that he speaks of the certainty of the church also. In the same passage, the two verses we read, you remember he said, I will build my church, and then he goes on and he says, and I will give you, or, or excuse me, he said, and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. Hades is that place that spirits go when we die. Uh, we find it several times in the scriptures. You remember the rich man and, and the beggar, and the rich man died, and he was in Hades. And uh, you remember that Jesus on the cross told the the thief that repented, that this day you shall be with me in paradise. And then Peter would talk about how that Jesus was in Hades in Acts the second chapter when he died. He went to Hades, but Hades wouldn't hold him. And that's the very point that Jesus is trying to make here. Remember we talked about how that, that Jesus had to die before he could build that church? How is he going to die and then build that church? Well, in the fact that Hades would not be able to stop him. He's talking about the resurrection, that even though he was put to death, and everyone else, you read even in the Psalms how that uh, the princes and the princesses, when they're, they die, their purpose ends. That is, they, they can't go ahead and execute their purposes anymore. They're through on earth. But Jesus was saying, even Hades will not prevent me from establishing and building my church. And here's what he was talking about. I will die, but I'll be raised from the dead, and after I'm raised from the dead, I'll build that church. And so Hades will not prevent. And there's another sense I think about in which Hades, when you think about Ephesians, the fifth chapter, when Jesus talks about how that there'll come a time when he will uh, again gather up the church and, and carry us home to heaven, well, in Ephesians 5 and 27, Hades isn't going to stop us from being and receiving our reward and being part of the church when we go to heaven because we too will be raised from the dead and we won't be left in Hades either from, at that point. And so even Hades couldn't prevent God or prevent Christ from establishing his church. That's how sure it was that he would build it. And then lastly, let me point out to you that the church and the kingdom are connected. 
in our passage, he talks about that he says, I will build my church, and then he says to the apostles, and I will give you the keys of the kingdom. That wouldn't make any sense unless those are very closely connected. For instance, if I were to say, I'm going to build a house and give you the keys to my car. What sense does that make? But if I were to say, I'm going to build a house and I'll give you the keys to the dwelling, you understand that they're one and the same thing, or they're closely connected in this case. And that's what Jesus was saying. I know that maybe every place, that sometimes kingdom has a broader meaning and so, but for practical purposes, as we live here on this earth, we're part of the church and we're part of the kingdom, and he says, I'll build my church and I will give you the keys of the kingdom. And what he's talking about, he's saying, I'm going to give you how to enter that kingdom. I'll, I'll give to you as apostles. I'll tell y'all, or you, and you can tell others how it is that you enter and become a part of this one church that I built. And so that's what Jesus says about the church in Matthew, the 16th chapter. Let's go back again and just kind of recap for a moment some of the things we said. We pointed out that it would not be built unto after his death. The foundation is that truth that Jesus is Lord and Christ that Peter made mention of. We pointed out that it's associated with the kingdom of God. We pointed out that memberships would come. and I have down there already what's there, but just hang on a minute and we'll get to that what there is. Then I want you to turn over, if you would, and notice also that we've said there's one church. But now, if you would, look to the book of Acts in the second chapter in verse 47 for a minute. Just turn over in your Bibles to Acts 2 because we'll notice a couple of things here. But I wanted you to notice, first of all, Acts 2 and verse 47, where it tells us that they were praising God, having favor with all people, and the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. Notice he's adding them to the church. He couldn't add them to the church if the church wasn't established. And so on this Pentecost, we know now that the church is established. And notice what some things. We said that it wouldn't happen until the death of Jesus. Jesus died at Passover. Acts 2 tells us about Pentecost which is 50 days after the death. Jesus had died. He had been raised from the dead. He had been on around with the disciples for 40 days, and then several other days passed, and now they're preaching, and they're adding to the church. It's after the death of Jesus. We talked about the foundation. It's the truth. Jesus is Lord in Christ. That's what Peter preached. Uh, you go back to the book of Acts in the second chapter, and he starts his sermon kind of in verse 22, or really gets into the sermon in 22, and talks about how that you know that Jesus was approved of God by the miracles that he worked. He goes on to talk about how that he was crucified, and then talks about how that he was raised from the dead. And if you look down in verse 37, or verse 36, it says, Therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made that, this, this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. What Peter's been doing has been laying the foundation of that church. Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. He's our Lord. 
And so that's the foundation that was laid on Pentecost. We told you it was associated with the kingdom. Well, Jesus is spoken of as sitting with God at the right hand in Acts 2. And that's when he reigns. It's when he sits at the right hand of God. And so now the kingdom is established. That's why he could say that uh, I'll give you the keys of the kingdom. I'll tell you about this kingdom. That church is closely associated with it. Those people that are part of the church are part of the kingdom. And Christ is reigning over them. They've professed him to be Lord as well as Christ. And then we've said membership. Peter preaches repentance and baptism to them. They cry out, what shall we do? And Peter says, you need to repent of your sins and be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And when they did that, then he added them to the church. When I was in Cordell, Georgia, I, I, we had a little community outside of Cordell. And I had got a study with a couple out there, and I really found we, we really had a, a young girl that visited our assembly with one of our young men, and I met the parents, talked to them. I thought maybe I'd convert them. And they said, well, I want you to go next door and talk to my mom and dad. So I went over and talked with them and then found another couple out that way, and I was talking with them, and I remember talking with this particular lady, and we were going through Acts 2, and we got to this point about the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. And I said, which church do you suppose he added them to? Methodist, Presbyterian, Lutheran, Baptist? And she thought a minute, and I remember she got that look on her face, and she said, they weren't around, were they? I said, no, ma'am, they weren't. The Lord built a church, and when he added somebody, he added them to their or to his church. And so they were a part of the church of God, of the church of Christ, and that's all. They were part of the church that belonged unto God or unto Jesus Christ. That's all there was. But somebody says, well, we, we read about churches in the scriptures, and we did, and we read one passage about the churches of Christ salute you, but that's not talking about denominations. That's talking about the saved in given localities. You read about the church at Corinth. What's he talking about? The saved, those that have obeyed the gospel, that live there in Corinth, worshiped in Corinth. Or you read about the seven churches of Asia. And what is he talking about? He's not talking about seven different denominations. He's talking about seven groups of people that are saved and are part of the church, and hence the church of Christ, and if you speak of these different locations, then it's the churches of Christ, as we talked about in Romans, the 16th chapter. But all of these churches are the church, make up the church that Jesus built, or the people in it make up the church that Jesus built. They all taught the same thing. They all believed that Jesus was the Christ, the Son of the living God, and they all had heard that, accepted that, been baptized into the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, and the Lord added to his church. And that's what we need. I told you in the beginning about that conversation that I had when I was a senior in high school. We were talking about baptism. And I had talked about how that baptism was necessary, and I had quoted 1 Peter 3.21, the like figure wherein to baptism does now save us. And this fellow said, well, that's what Peter said. What did Jesus say? No problem, I turned over Mark 16, 16, said, he that believeth and be baptized shall be saved. My knowledge never accepted what Peter said, nor what the apostle said. 
But I'm here to tell you, because of my belief in the Scriptures and because of the purity of the Word of God, that you can repent of your sins, be buried in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins, and he will add you to that church. You'll be a part of the church that Jesus built, the church of Christ, the church of God, just something that says this is the church that belongs to Jesus Christ because he built it, he purchased it with his blood, and he purchased each person that is a part of that church. So if you're here this evening and you would be a part of the church that Jesus built, forget about what men have built, be a part of what Jesus built. I mentioned Ephesians 5 and 27, how that he's going to come and receive the church. But you want to be a part of that that is received when Christ comes again. But you need to be a part of his church in order to be there. And the opportunity is yours this evening as together we stand. <laughs> Oh, the Savior.